Welcome to Compliance Beat, the podcast for compliance and ethics professionals. We provide practical insights and answer your questions about compliance and ethics. Together, we'll stay up to date on current trends so that your program stays effective. Brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Here's your host, Eric Moorhead. The question today is, why is the United States Sentencing Commission involved in compliance and ethics? This is part of a continuing series I call Sentencing Commission Confidential, where we take a look at the history and operation of the sentencing guidelines, and in particular, Chapter 8 of the sentencing guidelines that have to do with organizations. To answer why the commission is involved in compliance and ethics for organizations to begin with, you first have to go back to the beginnings in the mists of time before there was a United States Sentencing Commission. And it's actually not that long ago. Back in 1984, there was a bipartisan movement in Congress to reform overall federal sentencing practices. And I won't get into too much detail as to what was going on outside of the context of organizations and sentencing for companies and organizations. For those that remember the 1980s, Parachute Pants, Michael Jackson's Thriller, there was also Ivan Boski and Michael Milken, the Junk Bond Kings, Insider Traders, these corporate scandals that we're all too familiar with over the last 20 years uh, certainly happened back in the 1980s as well. But at that time, compliance and ethics as a profession wasn't even a glimmer in the eye of anyone. There were no compliance and ethics officers. There was no professional organization dedicated specifically to compliance and ethics. There was no professional field of study in the area. And while highly regulated industries particularly in the financial sector, did have compliance. There was very little talk about corporate culture and certainly not about how that corporate culture might relate to ethical behavior and compliance. These were the years of the original Gordon Gecko, And introduced into that mixture was the ongoing sentencing reform effort that was underway in Congress at the time. This resulted in the Sentencing Reform Act. As I mentioned, the Sentencing Reform Act was primarily concerned with reforming the sentencing of individuals, actual humans, that would be sentenced in federal court. It did this in broad strokes by eliminating parole, creating a determinate sentencing regime, which is to say that the sentence announced by the judge should be close or very close to the sentence actually served, with the notion that all of this would create more transparency in the sentencing system and reduce disparities in sentencing that happened regionally across the United States. What Congress saw and what they wanted to alleviate were scenarios where somebody charged with exactly the same offense in, say, Massachusetts would necessarily receive the same sentence as somebody charged with that sentence in Florida. To accomplish these goals, the Sentencing Commission was created by the Sentencing Reform Act. The commission is an independent agency. It has seven voting members. These are both judges and non-judges. Its role is to develop sentencing guidelines, for use by federal courts in the United States to study and research sentencing issues, including collecting all sentencing information, and to educate about sentencing. Importantly, Congress mandated that the Sentencing Commission consider guidelines for organizations in the new regime. So the Sentencing Commission took up creating organizational sentencing guidelines that would allow federal judges to sentence organizations that had been convicted of federal offenses. These initial organizational guidelines came into effect 25 years ago in 1991, November 1991. So happy silver anniversary sentencing guidelines. A guiding principle behind these new guidelines for organizations was to provide a foundation 
for an organization to self-police its own conduct through effective compliance and ethics programs. Although that exact terminology wasn't used in the original guidelines and they've gone through iterations since then, the genesis was there in 1991 to encourage compliance through this framework of principles. The idea being that you would reward and incentivize organizations to create effective compliance programs by mitigating their punishment in the case of a criminal violation. And in other words, the organization gets credit for cooperation and for having a program. So the reason why the sentencing guidelines talk about compliance and ethics is because it's the carrot that leads to mitigation for organizations that might be charged with offenses in federal court. The seven hallmarks of an effective program were developed to be applied by organizations that found themselves in this situation. After 25 years, those standards have developed into the basis for compliance programs for everyone, whether they're facing criminal charges or not. The guidelines have become what they are simply because they were first. And 25 years on, they still remain the basis for any effective program. If you have a question you want answered on the podcast, be sure to submit it on compliancebeat.com. Now here's the upshot. The upshot today is the Sentencing Commission is involved in compliance and ethics not only to determine the result of a criminal conviction for an organization, but to set standards, actionable standards, for all organizations. The reason the Commission is involved may be an accident of history, but the Commission has taken this role very seriously and has put together a scalable set of standards for an ethics and compliance program that all organizations can use to be more effective. Today we have three questions with Tom Fox. Tom has practiced law in Houston for 30 years and is the compliance ambassador for the Red Flag Group. He was most recently the general counsel at Drilling Controls, Inc., an international oil field manufacturing and service company. Tom is a recognized expert on anti-corruption and compliance, as well as the author of many best-selling books, including Lessons Learned on Compliance and Ethics and Best Practices under FCPA and the Bribery Act. These books include his series, Fox on Compliance and Doing Compliance, which was published by Compliance Week and released in October 2015. But he may be best known for his presence in social media, where he has been moving forward the discussion on compliance with his award-winning blog, the FCPA Compliance and Ethics blog, and five podcasts. He's very ambitious on the podcasts. The FCPA Compliance Report, Compliance into the Weeds, This Week in FCPA, 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership, and Unfair and Unbalanced with Roy Snell. Welcome, Tom. Uh, thank you, Eric. It's a real pleasure uh, to be here. Tom, can you talk about your career journey? How did you end up in your current role? Well, I would like to tell you there was a great overarching plan, but the reality is after my last corporate position where I was general counsel, and my job went away, I decided that uh, what I wanted to do with my life was race bicycles. So I went off on this great journey. You're a Texan. I'm a Texan. Lance Armstrong was not yet debunked. I was over 50. I could race in the senior division. So I went off on this great adventure to race bicycles, and I had a very lot of fun doing it until one day I was on a training ride and had a bicycle hummer event where I was the bicycle, and that ended my cycling career. So I convalesced for um, about eight weeks, and when I finally got enough energy to get on my walker and toddle into my office at home, I realized I was going to have to go back to work and practice law. And I had, um, although I had said I'd been doing it while I was cycling, I didn't have any clients and I didn't have any work. So the only thing I had on my hands after the accident was time. And so I decided that this was now 2010. And there were very few lawyers 
in private practice, you did the nuts and bolts of compliance. And in my last corporate position, I came on board after the company had executed a deferred prosecution agreement for its prior FCPA stint. And I was part of the original implementation team of the deferred prosecution agreement where we designed, created, wrote, and implemented a complete compliance solution. So I had that experience and we had a very robust monitor and, of course, DOJ oversight. So I learned how to do that with the government looking over your shoulder. So I decided to focus on that. And the um, thing I did was uh, social media. Because I couldn't, the only time I left the house was to go to physical therapy. I couldn't go have a drink, go have a lunch, go to a conference, go give a speech, go meet a client. So I did everything virtually. And I developed a worldwide virtual practice out of my house because that guy hit me. <laughs> <That's how. laughs> yeah, that, as we were talking about before we started this, everybody has a different path. And, and your path is is certainly unique. Now, if you could go back uh, in time and tell yourself one thing before you entered the compliance field, other than to watch out for Hummers, what would that one piece of advice that you would give your younger self be? I would have said to get into compliance sooner rather than as late as I did. And I recognize 2007 may not seem like late, but a lot of very talented people started this profession, and I just wish that I had uh, had the foresight to get into it earlier. I can remember at Halliburton, I was at Halliburton in 2004, and I had heard of the FCPA, but I could spell FCPA, and that was about it. And I wish that I'd known about it a little earlier in my career, and I could have transitioned over to doing more compliance work, whether it be with a legal department or dedicated to compliance like I am now. No, I, I, and I think you're not alone in that feeling, too. I'm, I'm, I have a very similar story where my boss came into my office at around the same time and said, what do you know about the FCPA? And I was like, I don't know anything about the FCPA. Uh, a lot of us right. in Houston felt the same way. And we, and we probably would have been better served to know something about not only the FCPA, but compliance beforehand. Now, if you can peer into your crystal ball just a little bit, what one or two trends in compliance and ethics do you think are going to be vitally important over the next couple of years? Eric, what I see is a continuation of the trend that really started in 1992 with the sentencing guidelines. And that trend is to put risk and risk management at really the highest levels of a company as part of its calculus. And what I mean by that is that companies now have, in large part, a chief compliance officer who is part of the C-suite, part of the executive management team, and they are considering compliance issues, whether that be foreign corrupt practices, anti-bribery, anti-corruption compliance, or other types of compliance and business decisions they made. The uh, one thing that has struck me about Ethisphere and their annual awards for the world's most ethical companies is many of those companies have been under or are under FCPA investigation, yet they're in that category or have won those awards, and they are more profitable by average than the Dow Jones average. And the reason is because they have more robust internal control, and they measure and manage risk more efficiently, and that makes them more profitable. So I see compliance moving to become part of an overall assessment at the highest levels of an organization through the measurement and management of risk as part of the way a company does business. Well, Tom, I can't thank you enough for spending a little bit of time with us today and answering our three questions. Eric, it's been my pleasure and I uh, greatly look forward to uh, you joining the, the podcast world. And I look forward to uh, hearing your podcast when it goes live. Uh-huh. 
I, I am gratified to get the blessing from the Godfather. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Compliance Beat. Check out our website, compliancebeat.com. This podcast is brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Be sure to check us out at moorheadconsulting.com.